Genesis 12, verses 1 through to 5. Reading from the Word of God in the book of Genesis, chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. The Lord may bless to us this reading from his holy word and to his name be the glory and the praise. Thank you, Keith. <clears throat> As I announced uh, earlier, we will commence a, a series on the life of Abraham, the father of all who believe. Today, the, uh, the sermon is titled, Abraham, the Friend of God, The Bible does refer to Abraham as the friend of God, the one who walked with the Lord. He was indeed God's friend. We need to understand that Abraham was not God's friend because God liked Abraham so much because Abraham was such a good person that he called him. We need to understand that. We don't find anything in the Bible that that gives us the idea that God called Abraham amongst, from amongst all people on the earth because Abraham was such a good person. That is never to be found in the Bible. God called Abraham not because he was good. He called Abraham not because he was a faithful person or he had such a good character. Or maybe God knew that if he called uh, Uh, Abraham and he made a friendship with him that Abraham had all these characteristics that would eventually fit into the plan of God. That was not why God called Abraham. If we look at uh, uh, Romans chapter 4, we'll understand this whole argument that there was nothing good in Abraham that set him apart from the rest of the world And therefore God looked amongst all the people of the earth and he saw someone good and he said, that's my man. God called Abraham purely because he wanted to call Abraham. And that's how God calls us. He does not say something good in us. He does not think that we might be useful in his service because we have all these wonderful characteristics or talents that might come in handy further down the track. 
God does not call us that way. Because grace means God calls us because he loves us. I struggled with this idea in my own personal life when I studied the life of Abraham and I, and I thought, it can't be. It just doesn't work that way, isn't it? There must have been something in Abraham that really, really caught the eye of God. But the Bible is clear about it. No. God called Abraham because God is sovereign and God can call wherever he wants for a specific purpose in a specific time and he would show his mercy and grace to that person not because there's some favor in that person but because God can do the impossible through his grace. When God called him, one of the things that we see about Abraham, that he was someone who would be listening. Someone with faith and obedience. Against all odds, when Abraham heard the, the voice of God, Abraham listened. God's calling upon his life was so compelling that Abraham would pack his stuff and he would say to Sarai, his wife, he said, let's go. Let's move to Canaan. It was not an easy move. So, by the way, the Bible tells us that although they lived somewhere else, they lived in Ur before they went up to Haran where they then uh, lived for a while until Abraham's father's death and then they moved down to Canaan and when they lived in Haran there, they accumulated wealth. And you can just imagine the logistics of packing up all things and then with what you have, go where you don't know where you're going. And I, I would like to think that more than once, even Sarah, his wife, would ask him, Abraham, so where are we going? And he'd say, where the Lord wants us to go. And she'd say, who is this Lord that you're talking about? Because there was no knowledge of God at that stage, apart from only a few. We'll meet one of them further down the track, Melchizedek. He was a priest of God in Salem. And I can just imagine being just in a, in a normal marriage relationship with Sarai and Abraham. There would have been more than one day that they would probably not be in in, in an agreement as to how and when they should move. And then others around Abraham, they'd ask him, Abraham, you're packing your stuff, so where are you going? I don't know. 
So what are you going to do when you get there? Well, I, I really don't know. So, so why are you doing this, Abraham? God called me. What God? And Abraham trusted God. And then he left. But there's an introduction to the life of Abraham. And if you'd like to open the Bible in, in Genesis chapter 11, which I've given you some sort of a summary on the announcement sheet, um, then you'll understand why the Bible is so specific about the uh, not only about the names, about, but about the, the, the ages of people. You see, there's, there's this, there's a, this uh, a summary of the descendants of Shem. Now, Shem was one of the sons of Noah, you know that. Now, it tells about Shem. Of course, I thought about the fact in verse 10, it says there, these are the generations of Shem. When Shem was a hundred years old, he fathered Apachat two years after the flood. Now, if you look further down the track, you'd see that everyone then had their first child at roughly 35 years or 30 years, 34 years, 30 years, 32, 30, 29. Why is that given to us in the Bible? And first of all, let me come back to Shem. Why was Shem only 100 years, I mean, 100 years old when he had his first son? You, you could just imagine that being a son of Noah, that, and Noah was building the ark for 120 years, um, that much of his life was, was occupied by helping his father getting the ark together. And uh, so the Lord rescued him with his wife, and uh, the uh, brothers, <clears throat> and, and then he had his first son. But he didn't do too badly after that. <clears throat> he had a lot of children after that, and he had another 100 years to his, 500 years to his life. So he was about 600 years old when he died. <clears throat> the interesting fact is, if you look at all the ages given there, it seems as if, Shem, who became about 600 years old, uh, actually outlived Noah. It sounds impossible, but that's, that's how it is in terms of, of that. So in many cases you'd ask, how is it that people knew about all these things? Well, it was fairly, fairly easy if four or five, six, seven generations down the track, you didn't have the facts ready, you could go to the person who actually who was there who saw it. And they can tell you once again through the ages how it all went. But the fact of the matter is that every verse after that in Genesis chapter 11 tells us about the average age was about 35 years or 30 years and even younger to 29 years when people had, the people had their first sons. And then when it came to Abraham, there's an, it is almost as if there was a full stop. Abraham was 75 years old and his wife, the Bible says, was barren. 
She couldn't have children. So you have to add another question put to, to Abraham. Abraham, where are you going? I don't know. What are you going to do when you get there? I don't know. Who called you to go there? God called me to the Which God? There's another question you ask. What motivates you to go? Well, God says he will give me a descendancy. God will give me children. And it's almost as if those around Abraham would look in, in, in disbelief and say, Abraham, you're 75 years old and your wife is barren. She passed the age of having children. And you say that God is going to give you children? And I can just imagine that there were quite a few people who would, if they walked away from Abraham, perhaps just have a bit of a laugh and say, he's lost it. But Abraham lived by the promise of God. And because his wife was barren, and because he himself was an old man, and because he went, he went to, to, to live in Canaan, and the Bible is clear about that, the, that, that land was, was inhabited by, by, by a brutal lot of Canaanites, and Thyrosites, and Jebusites, and every site you can think about. It was just not the best place to go when you were 75 years of age. So he had no room for his own plans. But his road was marked by the worship of God. When they arrived in the land, first thing that we hear about... The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord. After he went down to Egypt and came back, he built an altar to the Lord. Where he went, he built an altar to the Lord. It is as if Abraham was systematically, slowly, but faithfully putting visible signs of the fact that God is going to give him, according to his promise, this land. And then when it was time for Abraham and Lot, his nephew, when they accumulated wealth to the point that they couldn't share the same part of the land anymore, he said to Lot, you choose for yourself, which part you'd like, you go there. And Lot chose the best. And Abraham took what was left. Bethel. Not the best part of the land. The only part that, not the only part, one of the things that we read about in the Bible again about Bethel was the fact that Isaac, uh, Jacob later on traveled through the land and on the way north to Laban, his uncle, 
and he wanted that night to sleep, and the Bible says he couldn't find a place for his head, so he rested his head on a rock. That's the land Abraham got. Not the best part. Not the green valleys of the Jordan, but the rocky parts on the other side. And there the Lord once again appeared to him and he said, This is your land. This, look up to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. This is where I will give you land for you and your children. Many, many nations lived there and not all of them were very friendly. But Abraham, following the Lord, would with, by faith and by trust in the Lord just do as the Lord wanted him to do. Although the Bible says there in, in further chapter, uh, first, uh, I think it's chapter 17, um, where uh, he then had to uh, uh, stand up, now chapter 14, and rescue Lot who got involved in the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing there as the nation stood up and they made war against the king of so- Sodom. He organized and he arranged 318 men Apparently, they, they were some sort of a military-trained group. Which means that Abraham could, if he wanted to, perhaps, as he did then, follow these kings all the way up north, almost into Damascus. And he brought Lot back. It seems that it was possible for Abraham to actually, by force, take that part of the world, if he wanted to. He could organize these people and he could, have, he could have started a campaign, a military campaign. He could, have, he could have started somewhere and systematically work his way through the country. And he could say, well, I've got a right to do so because God said he'd give me this land. But Abraham didn't do that. He followed the, 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 he followed the Lord every step of the way, not by force but by the faith, by faithful uh, following the promises of God, that God would give him a descendancy, that God would give in some way a, a way for him that his, this, everything that he saw there will one day become his land. Yes, he was not the strongest of them all, but he was the faithful one following God. Therefore, he became, in a way, a priest as he interceded not only for, for Lot, but also for Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw something that you and I probably don't see because it says there in the Bible that we read this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, He saw a city that was not built by hands. You see, he saw all the the ugly things of the world around him, but he saw God, and he saw that God would give him what he cannot see. He had his eyes on God and on eternity. He was not looking at the here and the now. Sometimes he did. 
Sometimes he tried to do his own thing. Sometimes he, he wanted to, to, to sort of just jump out because he was, after all, just a human being. And, and we'll look at that, those things. He went to Egypt and he told the, the half-truth about Sarai. And he came back and he, he, he wanted to know how God is going to fulfill the promise with, with a child. And, and he thought, well, maybe someone else. Well, that didn't work. Then he tried with, with Hagar, um, and, and another possibility. That didn't work out. The Lord said, I will give you a son. I will give you a descendancy from Sarai, from, from, your, from you, the two of you. I've chosen you. And we'll look at how he would trust that the victory belongs to God, how God would do as he, as he told him and promised him and how God gave him one son. Apart from the other sons that he had in disobedience to the Lord, the Lord said, no, 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 Abraham, it won't be anyone. It will be the son that I give you. And when he had that son... And when he loved him very much at the prime of his life, in Jewish culture, when it was about time for the son to become a man in terms of the bar mitzvah thing, about 12, 13 years of age, instead of giving him some part in the inheritance, the Lord said, take Isaac, your son, your own son, the one whom you love and sacrifice him. Abraham did. Why? First of all, he was obedient to the Lord. Second thing is he said, God will provide. He knew that. He knew that, that God would provide. Why, Abraham had that promise of the Lord, and he said, I will make you a blessing to the nations, and the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. Which means that there's a bigger picture. There's this big picture that Abraham saw, the picture of God at work for the blessing of this world. And therefore, Abraham was the shadow of Christ, not only in his conquering way in which he uh, lived by the promises of God and, and, and gave a promised land, but in, in, the, in the way in which he trusted God that in God's own faithful and promised way, he will build a blessing for the whole world. He looked at that city which is so far more uh, beautiful, heaven itself, and how God would through a humble man, old in years, just wandering about in a, in, in a foreign land, God would use him to from him and through his descendancy bring forth the Christ. So that Jesus, was when, when he was born, became the blessing of the world. 
And here we sit in a small corner of the world and we can think of Abraham being our father in faith. Because the Bible says he is the father of all who believe. And out of him was born the Messiah. You and I are here today (coughs) because God fulfilled his promises in Abraham through Jesus Christ. And now, as we are believers and descendants of Abraham through Jesus Christ our Lord, we once again hear in this, all the promises made to Abraham are the promises of God. And sometimes you and I have to do things that would stun this world because they think of us as stupid fools. Don't they? Why would a missionary pack his stuff and go and live in India where you get a floods every now and then and, and, and when you're exposed to all sorts of danger? Why do you do these things? God calls me. Sometimes we have to do things that are not according to the pattern of this world. We have to do things that we trust God in the same way as he fulfilled the promises of Abraham through Jesus Christ. We are here too today and sometimes we do the foolish things in this world for God. Because we believe in God. Because we know that he can and will fulfill his promises. And as he said to Abraham, this is my land or this is your land. So he says to us, this is my world. The focus is not on that piece of sacred land strip between the Jordan River and uh, the Mediterranean Sea. The world now has become the target because all nations in the world will be blessed through Jesus Christ. So your horizon, your your world view must be much bigger than just our town or the town where you live in. When you become a Christian and you trust God in the same way as Abraham trusted him, and if you would follow him in the same way, following the promises made true in Jesus Christ, our world becomes a very big place. Our horizon is very big. And sometimes we build, like Abraham When he died at 175 years of age, he didn't see much of what was promised. But he died with an eye on God. And sometimes you and I might do little things and maybe we could sometimes don't even succeed in our own way of what we're doing. But God is using that as a builder would use one stone on top of the other. And we don't know where we fit in, but in God's way, the building is built. And can I say from the Bible, God's word today, when Jesus comes again, the building will be complete. Not one brick will be missed. But it might just be that you are called, and I am called, to put one brick in it, 
just do that. Some are called, they build far bigger portions, but all of us build. And like Abraham had to learn, we have to learn that it is not by power or by might, but by the Spirit of God. We are not going to do as the Muslim people. Uh, it seems that, that they would like to take the world by force, that they would like to blow up everyone who was in their way. We don't want to do that. It is not our mission. We're just going one by one, maybe in groups, smaller groups, where we live. We have our light shine and we become like yeast in this world. Have you seen, well, of course you would have seen yeast at work. It, it, it is amazing. Uh, I always find it absolutely amazing to think that we've got a, we've got a big pot at home. It's, it's, it's cast iron with a very heavy lid. As a matter of fact, sometimes when we had to get that out of the cupboard, I'm the one who was called to get it out of the cupboard because it's too heavy and take the lid off it. And then you put the dough in it and, and of course you mix it all up with, with yeast and all this. And before you know, the, the yeast in, in that dough has the power to lift that lid. We are not powerful. We are not called to be powerful. God is powerful and he does the work through his church. The only thing we need to do is be there, be faithful, be, 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 be obedient, following the Lord, and he will do his work, not by power or by might, by his spirit. Yes, he will do that. And the world will be conquered in the name of Jesus Christ. When, I don't know. How, I don't know. But we have to take the armor of God. And like an Abraham say, I'm out of here. I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm on my way as a pilgrim. I'm not in this world anymore. I'm in the service of God. I'll trust God. I'll follow his lead. And over the life of Abraham, there's one big banner. God will provide. Would you trust God as Abraham did? So by the way, God didn't bless Abraham because Abraham did all these things. Abraham did all these things. Because God blessed him. That's the difference. Let us pray. We thank you, Father, that all your promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we thank, we thank you that in him you have your yes and no written in the pages of history. And we pray that as you have used Abraham to be that uh, faithful man who followed your command and your promises 
that he looked at you and what you would do through him in Jesus Christ, that we who are looking back at the cross and the open grave of our Lord Jesus Christ, who sent us into this world to be the light and the salt of this world and to be your witnesses, Father, help us then to be faithful that we would trust you. Thank you for the righteousness you have uh, accredited to us because of Jesus Christ. And we pray now that we will follow as Abraham followed. Bless us in our service of our Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.